Hi there, welcome to this episode of Stories of Hope. My name is Michael Crossan. I am a itinerant preacher from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and a minister in training through the Ian Pentecostal Circles. I am just waiting to be stationed. And Stories of Hope has grown, and I've been so thankful for the guests that have come on. I'm delighted to tell you that someone um, got saved a couple of weeks ago through an episode of this. People have been touched, people have been blessed. And I pray that these episodes have blessed you and have encouraged you. And I pray that tonight's episode will bless you and encourage you all. So I have a privilege to interview many people from all walks of life. And tonight I have a special guest, Simon Forrester, who has agreed to come on. So welcome, Simon. Just tell us who you are, a bit about yourself, your upbringing, and where you come from. Okay, I was born in Castlebar in uh, County Mayo in Southern Ireland. Um, 60 years ago, to a traveling show business family who were a little bit like circus people who would move from town to town and entertain folks there for a week or so until it dried up a little bit and then moved on. So my very early beginnings were traipsing around all of Southern Ireland and some of Northern Ireland with my my family. <clears throat> and um, I learned lots of things from that. I learned that we were a slightly different breed of people than so-called normal people. Mm -hmm. I learned um, all kinds of things to do with uh, creativity and singing and music and drama and all those kinds of things. And um, eventually started a, a whole career in show business, represented Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest in 1982 with other members of my family, the Duskies, and continued working with Louis Walsh for quite some time in, in Dublin in a band and then came back over to United Kingdom. We moved here when I was five and carried on singing and so on around different places. Worked with all kinds of people in that time, including U2 and Shirley Bassey and even did some backing vocals for George Michael at one point and various things. So had quite a variety of uh, life experiences. That, that's incredible. And I know music's in your blood and different things. So how many instruments do you play? Are you just a, a singer or are you... Primarily a singer, but I have a go at a few instruments, the piano, the guitar. I've even played the trumpet for a little while, um, but it's very difficult to sing when you're playing the trumpet, as you can imagine. So to, singing is my first love, so uh, I kind of enjoy that more than anything else. Yeah, speaking of someone who plays Miller Brown B-flat flute, sometimes there is a temptation to sing. If you do master it, please let me know. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Likewise, please. Yeah, I'd like to see it too. I, I once uh, made a joke. There was a lad I was teaching the uh, glockenspiel and he wanted to learn the flute. And I made a joke publicly saying, uh, I'd like to see him try playing two instruments at once. And then he, yeah, that would be and he got half of the cheap melody in there. I'm like, well done, sir. Well done. He was only 11 at that time. <laughs> But singing, let's find out in the future. Anyway, rambling on. So you mm -hmm. have this music show business. You've traveled around. You've sung with various stars in, in the music mm -hmm. business. What was life in the family at that point? Did you, what kind of faith background did you come from? Did you have any faith? Well, my family were, were kind of Catholics, really. Um, in fact, my grandfather and my grandmother met in Glasgow Empire Theatre mm -hmm. and one was a Catholic and one was a Protestant and um, they, he was a comedian, she was a, a trained opera singer and they ran away at that time as you could imagine, uh, they ran away to get married and so they ran to the south and, and as they went to the south um, they obviously had children and um, that kind of lifestyle was 
so in our blood, it was just, you know, normal. I still have, you know, itchy feet. I stay along, along somewhere for, you know, a few months. I think I was time to something else or something new, which could be problematic. But it does keep you flexible. It does keep you available for whatever else happens in life. So, yeah, my family, I grew up in a family that was, I think, highly superstitious. Um, I think that sometimes can be part of, of um, the, the wonder of the Catholic faith. And, and I think sometimes, you know, we kind of, although we believed certain things, I don't think we practiced them. And so it was, it was a little bit hollow for us. We go to church uh, on Sunday, we go to mass on Sunday, do our confessions on Friday. I went to a Catholic school, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I had a, an experience when I was about 12, I think, maybe younger, 11, where I was sitting in a classroom and somebody was teaching at the front and this shaft of light came through the window and, and suddenly um, I felt what I can only describe as love. I, I felt this sense of, of pure love touch my heart. And around about that time, I was making my first Holy Communion. So if you're familiar at all with how that works, you go through a whole bunch of classes and uh, you, you turn up on this particular day looking like you're getting married in your suit and the girls in their dresses and that you come before the, the bishop and you're meant to kiss his ring. Now, we were told that when we kiss his ring, we will receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power. And so this moment through the window and this engagement with this process, I was so primed and ready to receive the power of the Holy Spirit that when I kissed the bishop's ring and nothing happened, I refused to move. And so I'm on my knees in front of this man kissing his ring and nothing happens. Eventually my mom has to come and scoop me up and take me away. And I was crying because I suppose what I'd experienced, I wanted to experience again. What I felt, I wanted to feel again. And I thought whatever God could or couldn't look like, what I experienced in that classroom felt like the most perfect and pure experience a human soul could ever experience. So that began the journey. And so as I grew through my teenagers, I got involved in all kinds of spiritual things, searching for the right thing, maybe in all the wrong places. I was into transcendental meditation. I did all kinds of occultic things. The occult was a big part of my family. You know, they were very superstitious and you know, believed in all kinds of things. And my mom probably primarily was the kind of person that was a censor. So she, she could tell you when someone's going to come to the door and uh, she could tell you who it would be. So when I became a Christian many years later, some of those things God began to use in very pure, beautiful ways. But right at that point, right until I became a Christian, I was very open to all kinds of spiritual things. And as I said, experimented with just about anything and everything you could. It's like looking for, I suppose what I felt in that classroom all those years before as a child of 11. You were, you were seeking God, kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch and, and mm. someone trying to find the truth of who God is. And yeah. tell us more about that journey in, in, that, in the relationships you, you had and how eventually you came to the saving faith in, in Jesus Christ. Tell us that okay. I, think, I think I always had a great sense of respect for, for God. You know, that's one of the things about the Catholic Church that I think is, is um, of great value. But the as far as having a personal relationship with him or having a connection with him in a way that was, you know, uh, very unique to me, um, it was a, a very general sense that there is a higher power or a God or someone out there. My experiences of uh, Catholic Church, the people were friendly, but I, I felt there was 
in my experience, it might not be the case for everyone, but I felt that it, it kind of was a little bit guilt driven. And so if you, if you didn't do certain things, you were going to go to hell. If you did certain things, you might not go to hell. You might even get to purgatory. And eventually, if somebody prays enough for you and buys enough candles for you, you'll go to heaven. And there were some things about that that really troubled me as I grew up uh, along that journey. Kind of, It felt to me there were some holes in that kind of thinking that didn't make sense to me. If God was pure and God was light and God was love, then why did these things have to happen in that particular way? And surely if we were the kind of people that kept failing him, why did he tolerate that? And why do we have to keep apologizing for being human? So all of those things kind of caused me to drift away from the Catholic Church. And I think around about the ages of 11, 12, 13 or 14, I started to understand that I started to have affections for, for men, for other boys. And um, that kind of was not conducive with any kind of faith at that time. You know, that felt much more attractive and far more exciting and so no, nothing happened in my life till I was around 16 and um, I met someone and had a relationship with, with that particular man and uh, suddenly I'm out on the gay scene in Birmingham where my family were living and I was in multiple relationships with various people over quite a substantial period of time. I think once again I was looking for the right thing but perhaps in the wrong place for me because I didn't go on to the gay scene looking to have sex. Of course, as you mature, your body desires those things and, and that's part of the, the natural maturity for people. But actually I went looking for love. I was looking for someone to spend my life with, some meaningful relationship with someone. And they were nice people and they were kind and everything, but there was never enough about that for me to give myself completely to that. And so for about a, a period of 18 months before I became a Christian, I got so disillusioned with the, the kind of the cheapness and way in the way people treated each other's bodies i kind of retreated from the whole sexual interaction thing and became a bit of an observer at the gay clubs and it wasn't a great moral thing i just felt that it hadn't produced what i'd hoped it would which was love and um, i was kind of living in this vacuum of celibacy and right in the middle of that the very person i slept with all those years before at 16 i'm now 24 comes back into my life and he has become a born again Christian. And he's living in America. He comes home to visit the United Kingdom, visit his family and rings me and he and his ex-boyfriend um, ask to, to meet up. And so we're chatting and they start talking to me. Both of them had become Christians. Uh, one lived out in India, the other in America, as I said, and they started telling me about Jesus. And I had so many questions and so many, you know, um, contentious responses to some of the things they were saying. But the one thing that kind of really struck me was just how convinced they were and how, how changed they had become as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, I believed that I had faith in Jesus Christ. I just didn't have a personal relationship with him. And so at the end of this long night of arguments and intentions over spiritual things, um, me trying to disprove as, as eloquently as I could all of the things they were suggesting were true about God, they said this sentence to me, and it just changed everything. They said, if you were the only person on this planet, God would have sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins because God loves you so much. Now, it's a, quite, it's a statement that I've heard, I don't know, tens of thousands of times since. Uh, people use it all the time, but I'd never heard that before. And the reason why it was significant for me is simply this, that in my culture, in the traveling community culture, we know and understand certain things have 
weight. And one of them is it's a life for a life. So if somebody gives their life for you, you really, in many ways, owe them your life. And so for them to use that particular phrase in the manner they used it, I knew instantly that if God had given his life for me, if Jesus had died for me, then the only decent response, the only possible response would be to give my life to him. And so that night I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come and take over my life. I really had no idea what that meant. I didn't have any understanding of, of Christianity in the sense that I know it now, but I, I knew something profound had taken place because when I got in my car to come home from that person's house, um, the Holy Spirit filled and flooded the car with the very light and the very purity and the very holiness that I experienced when I was 12. And I was so overwhelmed by what was happening. What should have been a 45 minute drive actually ended up taking me four to five hours. I had to keep pulling over to the side of the road because I'd never ever experienced such perfect love, such pure, holy and, and bright light of love in my soul and in my heart. And so I remember getting back home, you know, probably around about 9.30 in the morning as a result of leaving probably at two. And um, my mom didn't get up to the crack of noon and, and uh, she used to come down with a cigarette in her mouth and everything. And I said, mom, I've become a born again Christian. <laughs> and she sprinkled me with holy water from the little font that she had from Lourdes at the door and put me outside in the rain and said, you're not coming back in here until you do something about that. Well, of course, you know, it sounds funny to people, but but for me, it wasn't the responses I thought that she would have towards me. I thought she'd be pleased for me. And the journey began. That was where the starting point was. This experience of the love of God, this perfect, pure, bright, holy light just engulfed my whole being. And I, to this day, all these years later, and I've walked with Jesus now for 36 years, I know that had I not encountered that right at the beginning of my experience with God, I'm not sure I would have carried on the journey because as we talk, some things will become a bit apparent uh, as to why that could have been a, a possibility. Well, that's, that's an incredible story. And you find what you were looking for. You, you find that presence. You, you want to be filled mm -hmm. with the Holy Spirit. And then that, mm -hmm. day, that night, you, you were converted. You find Christ. You find the love that you were searching for. But as you alluded to, the reaction of your mom, what about your friends that you have once you were telling people about this? And well, the, the weird thing about that is I, I think you people underestimate sometimes the spirituality of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, the people I was connecting with, the people in show business that I kind of spent most of my time with in rehearsals and so on and so forth, were very open to, to spiritual things. Mm -hmm. not necessarily open to Christianity. It's almost like they have presumed what Christianity is. Yeah. You know, they have seen maybe some things that they don't like about that. Um, but actually, spiritual things, they're, they're very keen to be involved in. So I didn't have any great kind of vocabulary around this. I just knew that what had happened to me was just life-changing. I, could, I couldn't get over how different I felt. It was almost like somebody turned every color on inside of me and I just felt so alive I felt so awakened to the world I felt so sensitive to people I felt so sensitive to God and um, and so I would be working in all kinds of nightclubs and some places that people would you know never think that God would be and and suddenly I'd be talking to somebody and something would happen and I'd feel 
this beautiful presence start to lead me to say certain things and talk about certain things. And so many of these people started to experience Jesus for themselves. They started to experience this love and this light and this purity and this holiness. And, you know, I don't know what they did with that because often when you're working in show position, when you work with people occasionally, but I know quite a number of them to this day have carried on walking with God as a result of those experiences. And you were saying about that journey um, forward, you know, you've had these encounters, you're telling people about Christ and the Holy Spirit's leading you. What mm. stories in the, in, in the Bible that really brought you comfort in those early days that built you up? Oh, there's a loads. I, I think I've most identified with the woman who washes Jesus's feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. I, you know, there's a little phrase attached to that when, when people, the respectable people around her begin to question um, what's happening and think it's maybe inappropriate for her to respond to Jesus that way. Um, but this little phrase, you know, he says over her life, well, those who have been forgiven much love much. Yeah. And, and I think for me, that, that whole sense that, that everything I'd ever done, everything I'd ever thought, everything I'd ever been involved in somehow had been overshadowed by this incredible love. It's almost like it covered all the shame and all the pain and any guilt. And, and the interesting thing for me, like was when I went to church, I started going to church about three months after becoming a Christian, people kind of wanted to remind me of all of that stuff. They wanted me to feel bad. They wanted me to feel guilty. Uh, about what had happened but the reality was I didn't feel guilty because I knew that that Jesus's love completely and utterly was more powerful than even the most broken part of my experience as a human being and so I was living in that love and loving that love and trying to live out of that love to the people around me and many many people um, experienced that love for themselves God was very tangible and 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 his presence was very real in many of those conversations. And of course, there'll be people who didn't agree with what I had to say. And, you know, that's fine because there were things I didn't agree with that they said. But the reality was, I wasn't trying to, as we call it now, evangelize. I wasn't trying to, I was just so in love, I couldn't help myself but talk about God. And I talked about him in such a personal way and I talked about him in such a passionate way that I think it attracted these spiritual people. They're looking for something. And, um, and they connected with that. And so, as I say, many have continued on. Um, one of the things that was a, a bit of a breakthrough moment for me was I had been a Christian probably about three, maybe four weeks. And the people who led me to Jesus and, and introduced me to Jesus, uh, they gave me a Bible. And they said to me, you know, read the Bible. The Bible will tell you everything about God. Any question you have about God, you'll find in the Bible. I wasn't a great reader, to be honest. I, I was too busy living the life you know and if I was going to read something it probably wouldn't have been the bible so I didn't really do much with it but about three or four weeks into my journey I kind of had a question that I suppose I needed an answer to and um, it kind of bugged me for two or three days and then I thought oh I remember they said you know the bible will answer every question that you have and so I was praying all the time praying in the sense that I talked to God all the time not kind of doing you know a five minute thing at the beginning of the day, but it felt me to me like God was with me all the time. So I was just talking to him all the time about stuff and sensing some things. And so um, I pray, I've never read the Bible, hold it in my hand. And I said, I asked this question, God, 
what do you feel about me being gay? What is your what are your thoughts about that? Now, what you need to understand, Michael, is I came from a show business family, so it wasn't like we had any issue with that. Mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of people we connected with throughout the course of our lives that had sexual orientations that maybe weren't heterosexual. Very show business attracts the most amazing variety of, of, of spectrum of life. And so I didn't have any issues with that. But for some reason, it seemed to be a question that needed to be answered by God. I also didn't have a family that, you know, had that kind of, you know, bigoted approach to people who had any kind of, you know, alternative perspective on how life should be or even led their lives in a way that people didn't agree with. We were the very people people didn't like. So, you know, as show business people, you're often rejected. So we had no appetite for any kind of rejection to any group of people or any individual who lived a life that they felt convicted was the right one for them to live. So I didn't have even that around my life. So I wasn't asking a question because I fundamentally thought there might be something that's wrong with it. I just wanted to know what God thought about that. What did he think about that? And so I opened the Bible randomly. I've never read it before. And my eyes fall halfway down a page. And to my utter surprise and shock, I read these words. Do you not know that no homosexual, adulterer, murderer, fornicator shall enter the kingdom of God? And of course, I didn't know. <laughs> and I certainly didn't know it would be in the Bible. <laughs> um, I, I hoped I'd get an answer, but I wasn't sure what answer I'd get. And I didn't like the answer I got. Um, and I revisited that scripture over the 36 years many, many times. But on this particular occasion, I was so angry, I threw the Bible across the room and said, God, you've shown me love, such pure love for the last three to four weeks. Are you now telling me that because of the way I feel about people of the same sex, I can't be with you in eternity? Is that really what you're telling me? What I failed to see, and and you will know this, is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is that it says, this is what some of you were. Mm -hmm. That little sentence, I didn't stop to read that. And um, so I went out that night and I decided to get on with my life. If God wasn't going to take me eternally into his presence in heaven, I was going to live my life the best way I knew how. And so I go to the gay club. I'm talking to this guy. Things are looking like they're going to turn into something. And before I knew where I was, before I could understand what was happening to me, out of my mouth were coming these words. And they went a little like this. We don't have to live like this. Live like this meant trolling the clubs looking for love <laughs> we we are loved by god and he gave his son jesus christ so that we could have a personal relationship with him well as you can imagine whatever notions i had of of you know being intimate with this man they certainly didn't and wouldn't be fulfilled because we spent all night talking all night talking about jesus all night talking about the love of god and so i came home after that and i looked in the mirror and i thought you're a freak. What has happened to you? This is just bizarre. You know, this is just a bizarre thing. I was angry at what I'd read, but I knew that what had happened to me was so real that even superseded what I'd read because I still loved God and I still could feel his presence. And so I opened the Bible again and I said, God, what has happened to me? I really need to understand what's happened to me because I feel like I'm, I'm just the most, you know, stuck in this place where where you're real, but I know that who I am may not be everything in its entirety that you would have for me in the way I live my life. And that my words, I opened the Bible and, and the first words I read were, you are a new creature in Christ. Behold, the old has gone and God has made all things new. And so I realized at that point, and, and it was very specific, these 
kind of moments with the Bible, I realized that the Bible actually was speaking right to the very core of who I am. The, the coincidences that could be attached to that are too vast. The sum is too great to work out. You were to go looking for those things in the scriptures. You, you know, take somebody who knows them fairly well to find them. But I think the word, word homosexual was only mentioned six times in the Bible and three times it's alluded to as opposed to physically. So to actually hear that word and not know where it is, or even, and there's thousands upon thousands of thousands of words in the Bible. I knew that this was the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who filled my heart with light and, and covered my soul with pure love. This was the same God, but I may not have liked what he said, but I liked him too much to not do what he said. Yeah. And so I started to ask, well, how, how does this work? How do I live my life in a way that's, you know, acceptable to you? And of course, I, I realize now I was already acceptable to him because he came to me. I didn't go looking for him. You know, God found me. I wasn't looking for God. I might have been looking for something spiritual, but I didn't realize it was God. And, and so when he touched me the way he touched me and he spoke to me through the Bible, the way he spoke to me, I was utterly convinced that whatever I thought of myself or whatever I thought of what was said, that he had the capacity to transform me. He had the, this love was a transformative love. It had the power to rewrite the story of my life, whatever that turned into. And so I started on that. I would read my Bible. I would pray. I would just be who I was. And God would just do what he did through my life. And here we are all these years later. And, you know, many people have said to me, you know, perhaps you're imagining this. Well, you know, if it was just an imagination, why would you give up a life that was in many ways quite fulfilling? You know, and, and if I was imagining it, it certainly has stayed with me and I'm still imagining it, perhaps, if that's the case, all these years later, 36 years later, to still have the same connection with the Holy Spirit, the same sense of love in my life, the same light in my soul. I mean, that seems ridiculous to think that it's just my imagination that's caused that. And, and regarding how God feels about anyone or everyone for that matter, is it's a permanent fixed reality that everything God feels for us is love. Mm -hmm. There is nothing to add to that. And I'm not suggesting that my journey should be anybody else's journey. I'm not suggesting that what happened to me has to happen to someone else. But for me, my journey was such that God began to lead me forward. And I'm now married. I have a grown up daughter. My whole life has changed. And many of my friends from the gay community have said, you know, well, perhaps you just weren't gay in the first place. Perhaps you didn't. Well, to be honest with you, I certainly practiced it if I wasn't. So I believe from the ages, earliest ages six, I started to feel and experience, you know, desires for men. So to, to say that that perhaps wasn't true just doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it began. And um, I went through this whole um, kind of process where I felt so loved by God and healed and restored in so different, many different parts of my life, not just my sexuality. And, and my life has become something that God has chosen to use to tell other people about the love of Jesus. Um, so one thing I want to say, and I think it's important to say, because I think sometimes we misrepresent God. I don't ever think that God came to fix me. Mm -hmm. I think I need to say that out loud, because I think that's kind of what the church keeps telling people yeah. Jesus is about. I think Jesus came to find me. 
Amen. And what I mean by that is, he obviously, God created me. He created all of us, I believe. And he has given us a very beautiful, personal, bespoke sense of self and the world around us. And somehow during the course of life, all kinds of things happen that begin to misshape our truest identity. And before we know where we are, we're living a life that isn't really the life that we are supposed to live. It might be influenced by culture, society, religion. It could be just pain. It could be experiences. It can be a variety of things. Now, when Jesus comes and the scriptures that, that come to mind are simply this, you know, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. When Jesus came, he came to find me. He didn't come to fix me. And underneath all of these experiences and everything that happened, and you know, there's this person that God created. And he has, I believe, restored my original design. He's restored who I'm supposed to be. And I'm not just talking about my sexuality. I'm talking about every part of my human experience. So if anyone's listening to this and you're hearing this, please don't think that Jesus' desire is to fix you. I mean, that might be somebody else's desire in your life. But Jesus comes to find you, to find your truest self, to find out... To, to reconnect you with your truest identity as you were created to be in relationship with him. That's the exciting thing about this. You know, everybody has parts of their lives that we'd like God to do something in, um, but none of us really understand the great power and the presence and the, the, the very personal way in which the Holy Spirit begins to rewrite the story of our souls and bring us to a place where we are actually comfortable in our own skin as to who we are in relationship with God. This, I just, well, I'm just blown away by what you said because you're just literally answering the questions that I have prepared for this. It's, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit has, is in our conversation. Um, mm -hmm. If I can just ask, your journey into ministry and marriage, what was that like for you? Like, what brought you to ministry to be a pastor and preach and share your story? How did that all come okay. about? Well, I don't know, really, because I only went out for a loaf of bread. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't really know, really. Um, I, think, I think when you've experienced this beautiful love of God, and, and it's everything to me, you know, it's my life. Um, and then you start seeing that it has, it, it travels. It, it's got an ability, this love that you feel and experience has an ability to touch other hearts and, and awaken them to love and awaken them to life. I suppose it was inevitable at some point that that, that would kind of lead me a little bit more towards that. Um, I can't tell you I ever wanted to be a minister. I still to this day don't even think of myself in that way. I believe the only real minister is the Holy Spirit and he ministers to us and he chooses to minister through us. And that's what happens whenever lives get affected around us. But actually beyond that, it's not that complicated. Um, so I started getting involved in a local church. That didn't go too well at first because I, you know, was a new romantic and I looked a little bit more like boy George than George Best. And so I, I turn up at the church and this, this hat wearing trombone playing Pentecostal church in Birmingham. They didn't know whether I was male or female. They didn't know what to do with me. Um, you know, they, they, they couldn't put me with the boys because they think the boys weren't safe. And I'm talking young men really and teenagers on the youth weekends and they wouldn't put me with the girls because they weren't sure if I was just trying to play games and trying to, you know, exploit people. So I didn't have any place in the church that was an easy place to be, but there was this one couple who kind of found me 
um, Amrick and Lona, bless their hearts. They, she was from Northern Ireland and mm-hmm. she was married to an Asian man. And they, they just had two wonderful aspects to their life that just for me were the most rewarding discipleship experiences. He was an out and out evangelist. So every single moment of every single day and every which way possible, he could get me to connect with that he tried. And she was the most exquisite Bible teacher. So I'd go to their house on a Monday night, bless them, and they'd sit listening to my tales of woe. And she'd get out the Bible and he'd start talking to me. And, you know, they had to be up at five for work, but they didn't mind that I was leaving at two. And they they walked that journey with me into all kinds of healing and wholeness and understanding of God and the, and the Bible. And so that whole process, that seeing the changes in myself, seeing how it affected other people, I suppose eventually kind of thinking, well, this is what I need to do with my life. I think I'll give this a shot. And I was up in uh, St. Helens Church, and a guy called Steve Derbyshire, who's an Elam minister, was the pastor at that time. And I did a whole week long worth of schools ministry, and many young people came to faith that week. And so he collared me in the, um, I was invited by the youth leader, I didn't really know Steve but back then, but he collared me in the in the corridor and he said to me, you've got an anointing on your life. I did, I'd never heard the word before. You've got an anointing on your life. Um, you need to go to Bible college and get trained for ministry. Now, that couldn't have been further away from my mind at that time. Um, you know, Bible college. I didn't even go to college the first time around. Why would I be going to Bible college? And so I really fought with that. And then I just felt I needed to apply. And I applied. And the minute, I mean, Back in those days, I used to wear all of these very fancy clothes and had a posh car and everything. I got out of my Porsche Carrera, put my foot on the gravel at Nantwich, and and the same Holy Spirit who brought light and love and joy to my soul said to me, you're going to be here for a while. And so I walked into the room, had my interview. Keith Warrington was the one who interviewed me, and he said at the end of the interview, we don't normally say this to people. We usually wait a while and just have a conversation, but the hand of God is upon your life. And we really want to say to you, you have a place here if you want to come. So then I got caught up in the whole ministry thing. But I was already a minister. I was going around telling my story and seeing people come to faith. I was leading a youth group in my church that had about 160 people in it. And I led the worship in my local church. Um, And obviously with all the people I knew in show business, many of them came and were part of that. And it was a great time and experience in those days. So, that's when it started to get a little bit more formal and a little bit more kind of churchy. <laughs> and, and I started to learn about theology and I started to learn about all kinds of things. And so I graduated and went to the Wirral Christian Centre as the youth leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul Epton, thankfully, was the most amazing mentor and a fantastic evangelist. And so we spent all of our time, most summer, doing 10 crusades. And so we were out talking with people and, and the world's parts of it are very posh, but some parts are broken and very broken. So I, f- I felt very much at home. I felt very much like God had, had placed me in the right church. And the journey just continued and continued. And I ended up being on the national leadership team of Enum and a regional leader for Wales and the Southwest. So I, literally, the whole thing came about by going out for a loaf of bread. Because prior to all of this, I went to see somebody in my home church who had just come back from uh philippines uh, a young lady called mandy and she was speaking in the church and i kind of got disillusioned with some of the stuff that i was seeing but i knew she walked with jesus very beautifully and so i go to see her and the presence of god is just so powerful and i cried and cried and cried and that's when god said to me it's time to leave this life and to step forward 
towards the life that I'm about to open up for you. I never imagined I'd do it. I still, I feel a little bit like I'm going to be found out, you know, like I shouldn't really be here, but I'm here and it's God who led me here. And I stay as true to that as I can. I'm just a very ordinary person, but I have this extraordinary God in my life that makes me look at times a little bit more than I am. That's an incredible story and, and journey to where you're at now. Were you married mm -hmm. before Bible college or did that happen after in Bible college? I just started dating. I, I dated my best friend, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she, she had, she was a, a great friend at church, um, my wife Jane. And, and so we, we just hung out together and, and, and she, you know, she came from a very strong Christian home. And so in many ways, she was a great antidote to the very broken past that I had. She had a whole set of morals and, and virtues that I didn't have, that's for sure. And there was a group of us that hung out together. She's part of the leadership of that youth team. And so eventually kind of that turned into something a bit more than friendship. And I asked her out and we started dating just before um, I went to Bible college. <laughs> so as I went to Bible college, we had just decided that we were, you know, a serious couple. And um, throughout my time at Bible college, she very kindly, you know, supported me in different ways and certainly has been the best thing apart from Jesus that's ever happened to me in my life. She walks by my side. I walk by her side every day. And I, I have to pinch myself. Only God could have done that. <laughs> that's just that's just wonderful and very sweet. And I have heard you speak many times and the authenticity and the love of Jesus Christ radiates from you. And as we come to a close, I wish we can talk forever. Um, because when you talk about Jesus, time just flies by because mm -hmm. he is everything. Mm -hmm. And he is incredible. And he came to seek and to see if that which was lost before we began to record. When I prayed that mm. scripture, I just, I'm just amazed how God is always behind the scenes working in our lives. Mm. Um, as we close, I always ask this question what would you say to someone who might be in a similar background, maybe is in a, a homosexual relationship or is searching for love or searching for truth? What would you say to them? at the close of this podcast? I think I wouldn't say to them that the whole thing about coming to God is about giving up something because actually coming to God is about taking up something, mm -hmm. not about giving up something. And, and so I think I'm very grateful that I didn't have those types of conversations prior to surrendering my life to Jesus because I'm not sure if it was presented to me in that way I would have been able to make those choices in an educated way. I couldn't have imagined feeling differently. I couldn't have imagined living differently. So I wouldn't be saying that to people. But what I would say is this. I know you who are listening and anyone who listens to this, there's something in every human heart that longs for love. Mm -hmm. And we have tried everything and been everywhere to find it. And when we find glimpses of it, it's usually slightly imperfect because usually we find that love from other people and people, whoever they are, however beautiful they are, they're not perfect and neither are we. So that love that we're searching for does exist. It, you may not find it in another human being because as I say, every human being is imperfect. But perfect love, pure love, 
the bright, the beautiful, the glorious light of love that Jesus offers is everything you've been looking for. It's everything that you want. It's more than you need. And it would really, really, it really would be a crazy thing just not to even step one step nearer to that and explore that for yourself. I would hope that whatever this conversation is about, it's about taking whoever's listening a little bit nearer to the one who loves them unconditionally. Amen. That's the whole heart behind Stories of Hope, is to point mm. them to the one that loves them unconditionally. That's why I do this. I don't do this to get my name out there or any person who I interview's name out there. It's all about lifting his name up. And mm. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And mm. I, that's my prayer that you will find whoever's listening to this and whatever platform, whatever situation, you will find the greatest love of all, the love of Amen. Jesus Christ, whose love can change you, that can lift you, that can fulfill you, that can change you. And when you take him up, as Simon says, your life will change forever. And with him, there is a joy that is unspeakable. And as the song said, full of glory and the half has not yet been told. Thank you, Simon. Mm -hmm. Sure, I'm just going to pray. Oh. Um, we're going to mm -hmm. pray. And if you're affected by this or got more questions, please do get in touch with us. I'll, I'll include Simon's uh, contact details. Um, it'll be in the bio below or above, depending on what platform you're watching this. Feel free to reach out. And I pray this bless you. Let's just pray together, shall we? Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that our hearts are searching but we have found you. And Lord, we were once lost and you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, you, you left the 99 and you went to find us. Lord, I thank you for the testimony and the wisdom and the pastoral care and insight that Simon has shared in his life. Lord, I thank you that his life radiates the love that you showed him. And Lord, I pray if there's someone listening this in this episode, Lord, that it's going through different issues, questions, searching for love, searching for truth. I pray that they'll find it in you. I pray that you would draw them, that your Holy Spirit will show that purity, that love, that hope, and change their lives like you did with ours all those years ago. I thank you for Simon. I thank you for his ministry. I thank you for his family. Lord, I just pray that you bless them. And I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of Stories of Hope. I just pray, Lord, that we'll continue to bring people to yourself, that the hope of the gospel changes lives because of your love. As it says, we love him because he first loved us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, you saw us at our worst, but you're the one that loves us the most. And you demonstrated that love for us on the cross at Calvary. And Lord, I just pray that you'll just draw people to yourselves, Lord, and may lives be changed. And may people find the love that they've been searching for, which is in you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Simon, for sharing. And I pray God blesses you and your family. And thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. And join us next time on Stories of Hope. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye, everybody.